How many of you are deal finders? You like to find a good deal. Anybody raise your hand? Man, me too. I, I, I don't like to buy anything full price. I don't understand people who buy things for full price. And that's especially true when it comes to clothing. Uh, my favorite place to shop is Kohl's Clearance Rack. Amen. I love the Kohl's cash, okay? And uh, so that's my favorite place. And even if it's even if I love it, if it's the perfect outfit, but if it's full price, I'm not going there. It's got to be on clearance. It's got to be a good deal or I could set it back. Now, I can also go through the clearance rack and find like five or six things. We're like, boom, 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 boom. We're getting this right now. And, um, and, and it's just that way. Now, I have bought some things uh, that have been at stores, though, that you might not expect. Uh, years ago, I told a story for a long time in one of, one of those infamous stories uh, of buying a suit at Walmart. And I don't have it on today, but, uh, but I bought a suit at Walmart. I waited till midnight one night to buy it because I was embarrassed. I tried it on for a few times, you know, over the last few weeks, nights before that. And uh, anyway, I had a plan. I bought milk, eggs, and a suit. You know, I mean, where else could you do that but Walmart? And that suit still exists. It's in my closet. It's a George Jorge in another language. But um, anyway, so I had that. Well, the other day I was in Kroger, and uh, Kroger in Lebanon. And uh, I love to find a good deal, man. And this shirt I got on the day, $2.39 at Kroger, man. At Kroger. All God's people said, Hey, man, I mean, this is awesome. Anyway, go to Kroger, and, uh, and uh, you'll find some, some good deals. I love to find good deals. <clears throat> I don't like to lose things. Um, anybody ever here lost a phone before? You ever lost a wallet before? And, uh, I mean, how annoying is that or losing your keys before? If you're like Josh, you lose them about once a week. Everybody's like, where's my stuff, man? I'm like, I don't know. It usually happens when we're out to eat at a restaurant, too. He's like, oh, crud, I just forgot my wallet. I'm like, oh, okay. Great. That's awesome. Um, I'm happy to help. But anyway, so, um, so I hate to lose things, but I do when you, when you find it, right? I mean, you're turning over everything in your house. I just got to find that thing. Whatever that is, I want to find that because I'm so desperately searching for it. And we're starting a new series today called But God. Herbert Cooper and People's Church in Oklahoma developed this series a couple years ago and made it available to churches all over the country. And so we are jumping on board with this series. I love the idea of that while we struggle, but God is there. And uh, today's message is we wander, but God finds us. Chris Hodges tells a story about his son who got lost in Colorado. Anybody ever lose your child before? Uh, maybe they were a toddler. This child happened to be 12 years old. They were going on a vacation with their family to Colorado. And he had three sons and a daughter. They also brought with them two other families. So there were 20 of them all together. And Joseph was 12 years old, red hair. Joseph was on the autism spectrum. And so they always took care to watch out for where Joseph was because Joseph couldn't communicate very well. But, but instead of going skiing that day, the entire family decided, let's just stay in the market. Let's mill around today. Let's buy some things. This will be fun. It'll be a day off. And so that's what they did. And then they ended up going to a Starbucks there in town. And they went to Starbucks, and all of them, all 20 of them ordered. But in the meantime, Joseph had slipped away and went to the bathroom in Starbucks, but nobody saw where he went. Nobody noticed. The family all got their drinks. They went to the next store, next door, which was an ice cream shop. They decided to get all their fill right there all together. And now they're eating ice cream. And still no one noticed that Joseph was not there. Joseph went out of the bathroom, turned the opposite direction to look for everybody and was not finding them. Suddenly the family realized that Joseph, who does not communicate well, 
is in the midst of this crowd somewhere, and they don't know where he is. And as if they had all planned it and strategized it beforehand, they all went different directions looking for Joseph. Everyone desperately searching for this young man. The more stressed he becomes, the less he communicates, even to the extent that he can't tell you his name. Everybody is panicked. Uh, Chris says, for the first time in his life, he felt this overwhelming sense of just panic and loss. He went to a security guard who was there leaning against a wall, arms folded, leg against the wall, and had a gun on one side and a radio on the other side. And Chris says, my son is lost. He has autism. He's 12 years old. He has red hair. Can you help me find him? That without even moving or blinking, the security guard said, did you go to the place where you lost him, where you last saw him? His apathy made Chris just absolutely indignant. How could he not care? about this child that was lost. He said just then he looked up and looked a ways away, and walking across a rock bridge over a creek was his son just standing there. And Chris yells out, Joseph, Joseph. Joseph looks up, sees his dad. His dad notices not only his red hair, but his red face, because Joseph had been crying. It had been 45 minutes. Joseph then runs to his dad, runs and embraces him, Daddy, Daddy, I lost you. I lost you. I couldn't find you. I couldn't find you. And Chris Hodges says in that moment, nothing else mattered. Another one of his kids could have come up and grabbed on his jacket and said, Dad, let's go down to another restaurant. And that wouldn't have mattered. Another one of his kids could have come up and even had a minor incident or an injury in some way. And that wouldn't have mattered if it was minor nearly as much as finding this son. He said, you can't believe the desperation that he felt in those moments. And the truth is, we have all been Joseph on that bridge. The reality is that we all wander from God. We all wander from God. Sometimes people wander from God and they don't even know that they've wandered. You can see that they were lost. They didn't even know they were lost. But they, like this child at first who didn't realize the full extent of his lostness, a lot of people are like that. There are some people that wonder because they're rebellious and they just rebel against God. They know what they're doing and they just are running from God. They're angry or, or they're just rebelling in some way. There are others who the drift is a slow fade and, and they just quit praying. They quit using the scripture. They, it just, they used to do that, but they don't do it anymore. They, they used to go to church, but they don't do that anymore. And they just have drifted. All of a sudden, they wake up one day and they realize the relationship with God is cold or non-existent. All of us know about wondering. I know about wondering. I grew up in and around church. My dad was the preacher there, and I knew the right things to do. And, and uh, often I chose to do the right things, and sometimes I chose not to do the right things. And I understood what it meant to wonder. And the Bible describes this kind of wondering and how God responds to us when we are lost. And I want to give you a story in the Old Testament about a prophet named Hosea and a prostitute named Gomer that he ends up marrying. And here's the first idea. We wander, but God never stops pursuing us. Look with me at Hosea chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. God asked Hosea to marry Gomer, who's a prostitute. And this is what it said. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. Hosea was a prophet 
He's a man of God. He's revered. He was respected as a man of God. And God tells him to go marry a prostitute named Gomer. A prophet and a prostitute get married. And God told him to marry Gomer because he wanted to illustrate his love for his people. Now, this is a strange story. Why would God ask Hosea to marry Gomer? It doesn't really make a lot of sense to us. But what he wanted to do was illustrate that no matter how far Israel had wandered, no matter how much they had done to hurt the heart of God, God still loved them. God still wanted a relationship with them. Hosea the prophet wanted to be obedient, so he marries Gomer. And she was unfaithful to him on multiple occasions. She finally abandoned Hosea. She was so far away from her husband, far away from God. She was going down a dark road, and literally she ended up in sex slavery and being sold. She was wandering. And yet I want you to see what God's response was in Hosea chapter 3. It says, Then the Lord said to me, Hosea, go. Go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and have loved to worship them. Now catch this story. Hosea marries Gomer, the prostitute, and immediately she is unfaithful to him, ends up abandoning him completely, and God says to Hosea, now Hosea, I want you to pursue her. I want you to go after her. God shows up and Hosea says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're asking me, this woman that you told me to marry, this woman that you knew would be unfaithful to me, this woman that you knew would abandon me, now you're asking me to go to find her? Really, God? Really? She knows our address. She knows where we live. If she wants to come home, she can come home. But God says, I want you to go. I want you to pursue her. And God said, I want you to search for her and look for her until you find her. And God told Hosea to do this because God was illustrating something. He was illustrating his relationship with his people. And he was saying, no matter how far away they've wandered, no matter how far away they go, I will always be pursuing them. Maybe you're wondering today. Maybe you're three feet from God or a million miles from God. But you find yourself wondering. Find yourself on Gomer status. Maybe thinking things or doing things that you're ashamed of or can't believe where you ended up. And if that's you today, realize that God still loves you. God still pursues you. No matter how far you are from God, no matter what you've done, that your Heavenly Father relentlessly pursues you. And He wants to bring you home. And the second thing is that we wonder, but God pursues us. Why? To show us the extent of His love. Hosea chapter 3 verse 1 again says, Then the Lord said to me, Go, go and love your wife again. Even though she commits adultery with another lover, this will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel. And God said, My, my desire for my pursuit, your desire for your pursuit, is because there's love there. And He says, Hosea, go love your wife. And He says, This will illustrate my love for Israel. Even though the people had turned to other gods, even though they had wandered from God, this verse is huge. I mean, in the Old Testament, the punishment for committing adultery was to to be killed. And yet God didn't say, I'm going to pursue to punish. He said, I'm going to pursue with grace. I know she's broken your heart. I know that Gomer has hurt you, Hosea, but I want you to go and I want you to love her. And, and Hosea says, God, are you sure? And God said, I know that she's broken your heart. I know she's been unfaithful. I know she's disappointed you. But I still want you to pursue her. Now, when we get pursued, it's not the same. 
Anybody in here ever been pursued by the law before? Anybody ever had that happen before? I had to confess something to my kids back here in the back before I tell you this story because I've never told it to them before. I hesitate to tell you all as well, but I figure the statute of limitations has ended about 30-some years ago. I was 16. Jonathan and I had a mutual friend, and we didn't have any money to go to the movie, and so we had this not-so-brilliant idea um, to go door-to-door and ask for money for a cause that we didn't actually represent. And uh, I know it's terrible. Don't judge me. And uh, that's what we did. And so we're like, hey, you know, we represent this. And, and uh, so the first house we went to, we got a few bucks. And we're like, well, that's enough. Go to the movie. The first house, oh, and by the way, it was, it was in Indian Hill. We decided to go right to the top, all right? You know, let's just go right to the top. Not the most brilliant strategy either. However, uh, the, uh, right at the first door that had slammed their door on our face, um, a police officer pulled up to that door. And my friend, who happened to be an adult, by the way, um, and uh, he's like, uh, okay, get in the car, let's drive, and uh, go as quickly, go slow around the corner, then let's go. And that's what we did. We, uh, we got in the car, and we took off, and I went around the corner, and then I took off in my 1976 Camaro Rally Sport, and, uh, which does fly, but not fast enough to outpace this guy. And uh, anyway, I didn't really stop until he turned on his sirens because I sort of acted like he wasn't there even though he was pursuing me. Uh, when I finally stopped, he, uh, he threw his loudspeaker, said something to the effect of, without, you know, with a, with a few more choice words, he said, put your hands on the dash, put your hands on the dash, which I thought he said something else. He yelled it again. Finally, I put my hands on the dash. He comes up, looks at me, and goes, uh, gets my license, assesses the situation very quickly, by the way. I had a Mount Healthy High School cross-country T-shirt on. I mean, that's how prepared I was to be a thief. Anyway, so he's like, uh, he looks at me. He goes, uh, let me have your license. I give it to him. He goes, what the beep makes you think you can come into my county and steal money from my people? Those words are burned into my mind. <laughs> and I was like, I didn't have a good answer for him. I was like, I don't know. We were trying to go to the movie. And um, he looks across at my buddy over there, and he goes, uh, huh. He walks around to the other side of the car, looks at that guy, and goes, uh, what's your name? My friend had an alias name. I didn't know this. Um, but he had a name that really wasn't his name. He said, my name is so-and-so. And he said, do you have an ID? He said, no, I don't. He said, get out of the car. He did. Just to get out of the car, he threw his ID on the ground. The officer said, do you have an ID? He said, no, he didn't. He said, what did you just throw on the ground? I was like, uh-oh. He picked up his ID, and in fact, the dude had a different name. It wasn't even his name. We ended up going to the police station, but that wasn't until after he made us go back door to door and return the money back to the people. That was, that was awesome. Anyway, so we, he said, I want you to follow in your car, and uh, you can follow us to the police station. And then he handcuffed us between two chairs, and we're sitting there. It was a Saturday. Nobody else was in the police station. And I look over at him, and he looks over at me, and he is super nervous. And uh, the police officer comes out, looks at me, says, I'm going to release you to your parents, and, uh, which they happened to be in a North Carolina at the time. So it ended up where I was released to my sister's friend, and uh, all is well. I'll tell you more about that story later. This guy, though, happens to be wanted in two other states. Who knew? And I never saw him again after that moment. Uh, we have been pursued, you know what I mean? And when the pursuit happens, the police officers are not interested in showing you love, even though I will give credit to this guy, he showed me a bit of grace. Uh, I want to say that when you are doing something wrong and you are pursued, uh, you are not generally being pursued with love, you are generally being pursued with uh, the idea of being punished, with the idea of being punished. We have all wandered away 
we have all wandered from the Lord. And the Bible says that Hosea was told, go love your wife because why? Because I love you. And rather than punishing you, rather than punishing her, rather than punishing is the Israelites, my motivation is that I would demonstrate love to them, that I would demonstrate grace to them. We are so used to people punishing us to pursue us to punish us. When my uh, mom and dad got home from North Carolina, we had a very uh, tough and loving conversation. And through tears, actually, um, they were reminding me of the consequences that could have happened, that this police officer did happen to have grace, and that I would be grounded um, for a month from my car, not because of the incident as much as driving so far away from home, which we are not allowed to do at that time, and breaking family rules. However, my dad said in the month that we're going to do this, uh, we're going to take the engine and rebuild the engine in your car, and we're going to do that together. Somehow, my dad took a bad moment and turned it into a month of father-son experiences. Love. Rather than pursuit to punish, it was pursuit to love. And like many people who have wandered away, we wonder how will God respond. Ephesians chapter 2 says, it says, All of us used to live that way. We used to wander from God, following the passionate desires and inclination of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger. Look at the next words. But God, who is rich in mercy, loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. But God and his mercy. Mercy means God doesn't give us what we deserve. Mercy means we deserve to be punished, but God gives us grace. God is rich in mercy. He shows us that mercy. And in one of the most incredible moments of that in the Scripture happens in Luke chapter 15, where three things are lost. A lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son. The lost coin, the woman turns over everything in the house to pursue and to find the coin. The lost sheep, the owner of the sheep, leaves the 99 that are already taken care of and goes to pursue and to find the one. And of course, the story of the prodigal son, where the son says, Dad, I don't want to have anything to do with you. God, I want to leave you. God, I don't want to have a relationship with you. That's what he says to his father. His father represents God in this story. And he says, I want you just to be as good as dead. I want my inheritance. His father gives him his inheritance. He goes and lives in wild living. He wastes the money. He ends up spending uh, time in a pig pen, eating the food the pigs eat. And he thinks to himself, he comes to his senses, what am I doing? I just need to go back and be a hired hand for my father. And that's what he says he's going to do. He says he's going to go back, and he realizes that he's going to say sorry to his dad and try to get back in his good graces. What he doesn't realize is his dad the whole time is waiting for him on the back porch. And in the only time in all of Scripture that we see God running, the father in this story represents God takes off off of that porch and in a very undignified manner, hair blowing back in the wind, robe flowing back in the wind, sandals going everywhere. He pursues his son, runs to him because of the love that he has for him. And in the meantime, while he embraces him, his son spits out this, this, this little speech that he had prepared. Dad, I'm not worthy to be called one of your sons. Dad, I've, want, I've squandered your wealth. Dad, I've gone door to door to try to get money from people in Indian Hill. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And the, the father says, welcome back. 
you are now part still of our family, and your status is going to go right back to sonship. That tells you something about the heart of the love of God. God pursues us. He chases us down and He pursues us with love. But there's another but God truth I want to share with you. And that is that what, when we wander, God paid a price for, to find us. Hosea chapter 3 verse 2 says, So I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushes of barley and a measure of wine. And then I said to her, You must live in my house for many days and, not, and stop your prostitution. During this time, you will not have sexual relations with anyone, not even me. Some scholars say that a shekel was worth about $80 in today's money. That means Hosea paid around $1,200 to buy Gomer back. And during that time period, a family could live off one shekel for around two weeks. So Hosea paid around 30 weeks of wages to buy her back. But then he also gave five bushels of barley. And some scholars have said that's because he didn't have any more shekels. And so he had to give that an equivalent to another 15 shekels. Some scholars believe that the reason that he did all this to buy her back, and it cost so much, some, some speculate it was a year, almost a year's income. He gave everything he had to buy back an unfaithful, wandering bride. Why? Because God said to do it. And because God wanted to illustrate that he loved his people so much that he was willing to pay any price. And we see that story all through the Bible. In the New Testament, we see Christ coming into our world, paying our price on the cross. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says it this way, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Some people today think, I'm worthless. I'm, I'm not worth anything. You don't know what I've done. They think they're no good, they're unlovable. They think they're not worth a penny. But God says you're valuable. God says you're so valuable that he sent his only son. He paid a high price for you and for me. And he sent him into the world so that he might pay the price for us on the cross of Calvary. We wonder, but God finds us. Wants to bring us home. We're not deserving of, us, of it. But God in his love extends it to us. And some of you today, you are wandering from God. You're far from God. Some of you are lost and you don't even know you're lost. Some of you have just been flat out rebellious and running from God, running from the truth. Some of you have drifted slowly. You've just slowly drifted and you quit praying, quit reading the scripture, quit going to church, quit, quit going to community group, quit worshiping. And one day you woke up and you realize there's a coldness there in that relationship with God. But God has not given up on you. God is still pursuing you, still chasing after you. And some of you sense that right now in your heart. You sense a tug and an uneasiness. And if God is pursuing you, don't, don't try to resist. He's not out to punish you, not out to beat you. He's to pursue you because he loves you. He wants you to encounter his grace. You remember this old nursery rhyme? Some of the, remember that book that said all the great things they learned in life, they learned it in kindergarten, right? Everything I need to know. Um, a lot of nursery rhymes have some truths. Remember the one, Humpty Dumpty, Mr. Dumpty? Um, maybe he had a doctor degree. Maybe he's Dr. Dumpty. I don't know. But anyways, here's Humpty Dumpty. He sat on the wall. Uh, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall with all the king's horses and all the king's men. They couldn't, they couldn't put Humpty together back together again. You guys remember that, right? Hello? Yeah. Okay, good. It's, um, it's been a long time. I know. It's been a long time. You know, 
that nursery rhyme, it, it bugs me a bit. Um, first of all, why did he fall? I mean, I know he's kind of like round on the bottom, but like did somebody push him off? I mean, you've got to think about these things, guys. I mean, it's very, very important. Um, did he get too close to the edge? Um, did he trip over something? And, I mean, when you think about it, how in the world did they ever expect that the king's horses would ever put him back together again anyway? Because horses really don't have hands. So that would be very difficult to do anyway. And the king's men makes a little bit more sense, but it's tough to put an egg back together again. Maybe they had some glue, but neither one of them were very successful. But when, I'm, when I read something like that, I'm reminded, because I think there are a lot of people who feel like they have taken a fall in their life. They've done some things that, that God would not be honored by. And when that happens, they think, well, I've got broken pieces. There's no way God can love me. No way God can take care of me. And I can't help to wonder today how many of you relate to this guy, Humpty Dumpty. When you look back over your life, you think of the times that you've fallen and struggled, the times where the pieces have fallen apart, and you wonder, how will my life ever be put back together again? But here's one other truth that I want you to hold on to. One thing that's not in this story. No, the king's horses weren't able to put him back together again. The king's men weren't able to put him back together again. But one thing you don't see in the story is where is the king? Because I have a real feeling that the king could have put him back together again. And if not that king, our king. God is the one who takes broken pieces, the king of kings, and repairs and mends and refashions and recreates and redeems and restores all of it together again. And he takes the broken pieces. And he says, I want you to to have a do-over. Listen to the words of our sister. Maybe you were born of the worst circumstances. But on the other side of the tracks, maybe all the statistics and facts were stacked up against you. Maybe you were out of line or running out of time, waiting for the stars to align, looking for a sign or about to lose your mind. Maybe you were wondering if you could save yourself or if you were in need of a lifeline. Whether we bow at the altars of self or ascribe to the divine, there's a certain kind of hope our souls long to find, a certain type of void only God can satisfy. And the pieces of our shattered dreams, no matter how many wrong directions, U-turns, or detours, even our worst moments can be redeemed because there is a God who wants to take the chains that bind us and set us free until we learn our true identity, until we learn to see the world through the eyes of possibility, God writes the greatest plot twists. He's been carefully pinning your story, taking all your mishaps to the places that you've been misshapen. When you thought nothing beautiful could be made of you, he was painting your canvas, make no mistake. God makes no mistakes. He loves, he saves, he waits, which is why as long as you have breath, it's never too late to trade guilt and stress and shame and grace. Very God who formed you, he wants to be with you, wants to show you a peace that surpasses love everlasting, that no mistake is too big, no request too small, that every heart, life, story, God sees and knows them all, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you've done or where you've been, but God changes everything. Would you bow your heads with me? God, we give you thanks that you do change everything. The Bible says you do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. The greatest gift you've ever given is the the sacrificial gift of Christ. God, I pray today that we are able to to come before you, God, in, in 
love and humility. So God, I pray for everybody who's here today and pray, God, for the things that they go through, the ups and downs of life, the challenges, the struggles. God, I pray that they would be reminded today the extent of your love, the price that was paid, and that, God, you're not out to just get us. You're not up looking for people just to destroy their life or to come after them. You're there, God, to pursue them with love, to bring them back home, to run off the porch, to be undignified almost in a pursuit of, of your people. Thank you, God, for the extent of your love, the grace that you show. Thank you, God, that even though we don't deserve it, you still demonstrate it. Thank you, God, for moments like this. God, thank you for the ability to worship you today and to just say thank you, God. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for freeing us. And thank you for giving us a purpose. We love you and we pray it together in Jesus' name.